Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. Well, good morning. What a delight to be in Brandon at Bethel Christian Assembly. When Shirley and I think of Brandon and Bethel, we recognize that this place has had a very significant role in the formation of our lives, our ministries, and we are incredibly grateful. Uh, It goes beyond words to say just what Brandon and Bethel Christian Assembly means to us. So what a joy to be with you, to see you behind your windshields on this cool day. And we're believing for no rain on the parking lot, but rain everywhere else until after the service. And then it can rain all at once here on the parking lot as well. Thank you for the privilege of joining you this morning. And we're believing that God has something special in store. I'm so grateful to Pastor for his invitation to be with you. And before we open the Word of God, I want to take a moment to tell you just a little bit about our mission's work. And let me begin by talking about commissioning a lifestyle of integrity and give you a story that took place this week. This week, we had a conversation with a printer in the country of Ghana. In printing a thousand books, typically what happens is you get a proof which you sign, and then the books are uh, printed. Our printer in Ghana sent us the proof. We looked at it, said it's not as it should be, and we sent the proof back. But somehow that response was not received by him, and he went ahead and he printed the books, which meant there were some pretty significant things that needed to be changed. So we had a problem. A thousand books printed The books were not of the caliber we wanted to have distributed. A meeting was set up. He contacted us on Friday. Meeting set up for the Tuesday. But on the Friday night, he went to the printing press, picked up a copy of our book, Integrity, the Best Foundation. And he started to read through it during the weekend. And so when we had our meeting on Tuesday, uh, we were expecting that somehow we would broker a deal where we would both begin to pay for some of the costs, though the mistake was not on our side. And the printer said to us as the meeting began, I read the book, and I want to be a man of integrity, and I want my press to be a press of integrity, and so we are going to reprint your book without any cost to you. We're going to redesign the cover. We're going to make sure that everything is exactly as it should be. And so we will reprint it. We breathe the great sigh of relief. And then he said, and when the book is printed, would you mind if I gave one of these books to my best friend? And I said, of course, go ahead. He said, well, my best friend is the speaker of the House of Parliament here in our country. (laughs) I thought, isn't God good? How he works things out. But the story doesn't end there. Amen. A hallelujah honk. Amen. And the story doesn't end there. Uh, He then went on to say, I have 50 employees. Would you be willing to teach the employees at my printing press the principles of this book? And can we be one of your first small groups or cohorts? And so that will be happening in just the near future. We thank God for that. In Canada, CLI has just finished a trial within seven churches across Canada, and the reports that are coming back are really five-star, exceptional 
uh, certification from people who have taken the program. And if you'd like to know more about what's happening in Africa or in Canada with CLI, you can go to our website, uh, cli.internationalc.ca, uh, or go to our Facebook page. All that information will be available at the sign at the end of the service. And if you don't get our newsletter, please sign up for it. We'd be so happy for you to be able to follow along so you can pray with us. Your partnership, your prayer makes a huge difference in these things. Let me tell you a little bit about Bridging China and Africa. Uh, The main building as well as the teaching complex had some problems due to the rainy season with the foundation. Those foundational issues are now being addressed and should soon be finished. And we're grateful for God that we were discovered early and there was not major problems as a result of that. Also pray with us as Tom and Sarah are about to be deployed to Zambia to lead our call. And we're anticipating that they'll, between now and then, raise the final $30,000 that they need to raise so that they're fully subscribed in terms of their finances and they'll be able to do all that God has called them to do. So pray with us for these things. We'll keep you posted and follow along on the website and we'll let you know what's going on. If you have your Bibles or your media device, and you want to follow, we want to go to a passage in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 13 to verse 20. And this passage of Scripture is uh, a passage that takes place about a month and a half before Jesus is crucified in Jerusalem during the Passover. So it's a very significant time, the closing days of Jesus' ministry. And in these days, Jesus takes his disciples, according to verse 13, it says, And Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you go to Caesarea Philippi, there's a very large red rock and a beautiful river that are known by by tourists. It's just absolutely magnificent to see. That large red rock has lines on it, like the four, like burrows in your forehead, and those lines in the rock lead to little uh, altars or grottos or little shrines where people would come and worship pagan gods, believing that somehow it would bring blessing to their business. So Caesarea Philippi was a center of worship in the Greek god world. In fact, Caesarea Philippi was a new name. The old name was Panaeus because it was named after the god Pan. And it was thought that the fertility gods uh, would come every spring to the earth to bring life again through the gates of Haiti, which were at Panaeus. Now, why did they think that? Well, the river that flows from underneath the rock is very, very deep. In fact, they tried to measure it. And though they went a kilometer, two kilometers deep, they did not find the bottom of that spring. And so it was thought to be unfathomable. And the tradition was that the waters came themselves from the gates of Hades. And so the portal of the Hades was thought to be right there in Caesarea Philippi. Now, in the springtime which this is, there would be a festival that would make the Mardi Gras at New Orleans blush. 
And so uh, for any Jewish boy to be there at that time would be somewhat suspect. And yet here's Jesus at the gates of Hades in a festival season where it's as rank as you can possibly imagine, looking at his disciples at a place where on the red rock behind them, people are worshiping false gods. The aroma from the incense of the altars is wafting on the air to them. And they are being asked this question. Who do men say that I am? Now, that's a pretty important question. It's an important question for Canadians today as well. Who do people say that I am? Now, you would think after two and a half years of public ministry, everyone would have nailed the answer to that question. And yet there seems to be this divided house. If you would have gone to Nazareth and say, he's the son of Joseph. If you would have gone to Jerusalem amongst his Pharisees, he's an unorthodox rabbi. If you would have gone to the people fed by the loaves and fishes that say, well, we want him to be king, but we think he's just a political leader. And so people had different opinions. And generally they viewed Jesus according to the lens of their own desire and the lens of their own need. And so some said, he's John the Baptist. Why John? Well, because John preached the kingdom of God was at hand and that they should repent and turn to God. And of course, Jesus said, I bring the kingdom of heaven and repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some said he's Elijah. Well, why Elias? Well, because Elias did great and marvelous miracles in Jesus. Who did more miracles than him? John said there wouldn't be enough room in the in. Uh, a book to contain all of the miracles that Jesus did. Some said he's Jeremiah. Why Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah was so compassionate. And Jesus loved the children. Stop for the one in need. He was so very compassionate. Others said, well, he is like one of the other prophets, maybe Jonah, because he included the Gentiles in his ministry. Someone else said, well, maybe he's like Hosea because he's so very, very faithful. The challenge is to know just who Jesus is. And the opinion there was divided. You know, you live in Brandon, Manitoba, or a surrounding area, and the question is, who do people in Brandon say Jesus is? Probably. The uh, opinion is divided. And some would say, well, I grew up in a Bible or Christian home, and so I, I think Jesus is the Son of God. Some have no idea. Some have moved with other religious backgrounds and traditions and don't know who Jesus is. Others have been affected by Christians, and some very positively and have been attracted towards Jesus, but some have been deterred from him because of what Christians are like. The doubt about Jesus is affecting attendance in church today in North America. And so we don't need to be afraid of doubts and questions people have about Jesus. But rather we need to present to them that he is the truth. And be unafraid to present the real Jesus who can hear your prayer, who is the Son of God. And without any kind of hesitancy, let's be very clear about who Jesus is. If you read a book called Wind in the House of Islam, you'll discover in Eastern African borders that uh, one of the things they do to reach out to the Muslim community is they ask him the question, who does the Quran say that Muhammad is? And if you read the Quran, the, the answer is he is not a prophet. 
And that really begins to shake the Muslim person and become open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think we can do just the opposite. We can say, who is Jesus? Well, I invite you to read the first four books of the New Testament and begin to discover again who he is. Let's be clear, in a world that's uncertain about Jesus, who Peter and the disciples hear Jesus turn to them while they're having devotions, and he doesn't simply say, well, who do people say I am? He says, and who do you say that I am? Now, Andrew should have jumped in, but he didn't. Peter was usually the first, and so Andrew was the first to meet Jesus among all the 12 disciples. He met him when John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It was Andrew who heard John say, this is the Messiah as Jesus was leaving the Jordan. And that locked in. From that time on, there was never a question for Andrew that Jesus was the Son of God. But there was for Peter. When you read in the Gospels concerning the the Lord Jesus Christ and his relationship to Peter, Peter didn't buy in immediately. When Andrew said, come, see the Messiah, Andrew took Peter to Jesus, and Peter looked at him and said, You are called Simon, the son of Barjona, which means a pebble, but I will make you Peter, which means a rock. I'm going to transform your life. John, uh, Peter listened to that, and for seven days or so, Peter would have spent time with Jesus and some other people who were there at the time. But Peter left. He went back fishing. And about six months later, according to Luke chapter 5, Jesus is at the shore of the Galilee, and he sees a man he knows who is cleaning his fishing nets, and he says to him, cast your net out, your, your boat out into the, to the lake and cast out the nets. And a man by the name of Peter says, well, okay, Lord, I will. Now imagine a carpenter telling a fisherman how to fish. Peter did protest a bit and said, I fished all night. And I've caught nothing. Now, I fished all, I've never fished all night. But I certainly can testify that there's times I've caught nothing. So I can identify a little bit with Peter. And Peter says, I've, I fished all night and I caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word. So he had gained respect for Jesus and his teaching and who he was in those earlier days with him. But now he casts out his net. The Lord fills those nets with fish. And Peter hauls them in and the boat almost begins to sink. And kneeling knee deep in uh, fish and water, Peter looks at Jesus and he says something that he has never said before. And he calls him the Old Testament term for the Lord. And he says, you are the Lord. And now Peter would follow him, leave his fishing nets, and he'd have a front row seat. He got all the CDs. He went to all the seminars where Jesus was. He was a disciple of Jesus. And he was there when Jesus healed his mother-in-law. He was there when the bread is multiplied. In fact, it happened in his hands. And he walked on the water. Peter began to see Jesus and understand who he was. And have a greater and greater comprehension that this is no ordinary rabbi or no ordinary man. And when we come to Matthew chapter 16, it's the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And when he looks at the disciples, he says, and who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, the father in heaven helped you to understand that. The Father in heaven brought you to a place of getting it because you were struggling to be sure. And I am so grateful 
that in the quest to know God and to have his power and work in our lives, we are not left to our own intellect, our own study, our own evaluation, our own uh, tests, but we also have the help of the Holy Spirit. And God will help you to know Jesus fully and powerfully and completely in your life. And so Peter, Jesus says to Peter, you are Simon, son of Jonah, but I will make you Peter. And upon this rock, not the red rock behind him, but you as a man, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, isn't that interesting? In a very place where they worshipped other gods, sacrifices were being offered, people thought of every other kind of mindset. Jesus said, I will build my church and there will be no fear of other ideologies. There'll be no fear of other gods. There'll be no fear of challenges that may come. I can build my church at the very center of activity that's anti-me. And I think that's absolutely amazing. I will build my church. And Peter, I'm going to use you. He's going to use every one of you in the cars there who are open to him, who understand who he is. He wants to use you to build his church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of God. I'll give you the keys. Now, keys are an important thing. Keys open, keys close. When Shirley and I were married in Bethel, when we were still downtown, uh, the day of our wedding, we gave each other gifts, several things. And among the things that I gave to my wife was a little box, a silver box with uh, three things inside of it. There was a key to my office at the church, a key to the car I owned, and a key to the mobile home, which would be our new home. And I gave her those keys, and I said to her, everything that I have, I give to you. Everything I have is yours. This is my kingdom. Here it is. I give it to you. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He's the bridegroom, and he gives to the church, his bride, everything he has. He gives us a key to everything he possesses. He says, here are the keys of not just a corner of the kingdom, not just a part of what I can do, but he wants to give to you the entire lot. He wants to give to you everything, so I will give you keys to the entire kingdom of God. I give them to you. Your bridegroom loves you enough that he will entrust you with his kingdom. And when he left and sent the Holy Spirit, he left so that you and I could use keys that he would put in our hands. Now, the interesting thing is that Jesus says, I give you keys, not singular key, but keys. How many are seven in another? But I thought maybe the best place to go to find the keys of the kingdom would be this book, the Bible. And uh, how many keys do we find in the Bible? Now, if it were being translated in non-King James days. It might be the password. It might be the, um, uh, there could be other things other than key that was used. But in that day, a key was essential for opening doors and closing doors, giving authority and having the right of access. So how many keys are there? I've got good news for you. There are only two keys in the kingdom of God, just two. There are not seven, 
they're not nine, they're not 22. You see, if uh, you're like I am, uh, you don't want to have a large key ring, and when you get home at night, fumble through a lot of rings to get to the right key. You want to find the right key quickly so that you can get in. And that's really the way it is in the kingdom of God. It's not really complicated. So a simple person like myself can come to understand what I should do. So Jesus said, the Bible teaches us that there are two keys. The first key is found in Luke chapter 11, verse 52. And here it says, Woe to you, Pharisees and lawyers of the law. You have taken the keys from people and you are not letting them use them. Now, to have keys only is valuable if you can use them. One day I was um, leaving my office knowing that I had a meeting that night. I had taken my laptop and a few things, um, and I left the office. But I got in my car, started up, and realized that the uh, notebook that I used to have all my chair notes was still in the office. So I circled the church, came back, got out of the car, closed the door, took the, took, went to the office, typed in the pass key, uh, uh, the code, got into my office, got the notebook, came back out, reached the handle of the door on the car, and the car was locked. And my keys, my, the fob, was inside on the front seat, but the front door, the doors were locked. The car was running. My car? But because the key was locked up inside, the car had little value to me until I could access the keys. And the purpose of God is not to keep you from having the keys, but to open the door so that you can use the keys that are in the kingdom of God. You see, when you have the keys, you can start the car. When you have the keys, you can drive the car. When you have the keys, you can do what you need to do. And Jesus says, I give you the key of knowledge. You see, when you know God and you know God's will, you can open doors that no one can close. You can close doors that the enemy wishes you would never close. But you can do that when you have the key of the kingdom of God, the key of knowledge. When you know the truth, it makes a huge difference. The second key comes to us in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, I will give you the key of David, and you will open and you will close. Again, that picture of the key working to open and close doors. Why the key of David? Well, David is an interesting study. And to understand the key of David is to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's a story in the book of 2 Samuel that really helps us to understand what the key of David is. They were looking for someone who could play the harp for King Saul because he was tormented by demons. And if they could find someone who could play the harp well, then um, they hoped that the music would squelch that activity and that he would be somehow held back from violence. And so they searched the land, and they found a young man in Bethlehem named David. And it says in verse 17 that David was a cunning player of the harp. He was... Cunning, of strong in speech, he was handsome, he was courageous, and he was a warrior. And then there's one little phrase at the end, and it says, and the Lord was with him. What was the key to David's life? Was it because he was courageous? Skilled. I don't think skill is enough. Is it because he was good looking? I don't think so. Was it because he was a gifted speaker? Well, that would help. 
But what the key to David's life was and why his kingdom was established is that last little phrase, the Lord was with him. So two keys in your life are to know God and his will and to know that the Holy Spirit is with you. The power of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit resting in your life. You see, when you know those things, you have something very powerful that begins to work on your behalf. So Jesus says to Peter, here, I give you the keys of the kingdom to know me, to know my anointing. Now, let me ask you, were those just metaphors or did Peter actually open doors and close them? I believe that they're not metaphors that Peter opened and closed doors. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, etc. In Acts chapter 2, Peter uses the keys of knowing who God is in the anointing to preach on the day of Pentecost, and 2,000 were saved. Acts chapter 3, he uses the key of knowing God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and saying, such as I have, give I you. And he raised a lame man, and 5,000 people were saved. In Acts chapter 4, he closes the door to fear that wanted to stop the church and bring it under a bondage, and he keeps the door open for the gospel. In Acts chapter 5, he closes the door to the lie of Ananias and Sapphira by the knowledge of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 6, there was a need for more people to do the ministry, and he opens the door for the uh, deacons to begin to work he gives to them a release to do work of ministry in acts chapter you just keep going through the book and you discover whether it's chapter 10 opening the door to the gentiles after chapter 12 is getting out of prison he knows god he knows the anointing of the holy spirit and the keys begin to work so let me ask you were they just peters or did he give them to someone else well if you look in your disciples named mark who is the Mark of the Gospel of Mark? Well, we mostly think that it is John Mark, who is the associate pastor of Peter in Rome. And we think that Peter dictated the Gospel of Mark to Mark. It has all the style of the bombastic Peter, and it's very evangelistic. Um, and what we think it happened is that when Peter had finished telling... He, Mark, the gospel of Mark, and Mark had written it down. And Peter said, now, let's send it out to the churches. And Mark said, well, what should we call it? Should we call it Peter, like we have Matthew, or we have Luke? Should we call it Peter? And Peter says, no, call it Mark. But I'm only the associate. No, but you see, the gospel is for everyone. And I give you, Mark, the key, as well as myself. Now, you look into the scripture and you find in Galatians chapter 1 that Saul of Tarsus, after his conversion, comes to Jerusalem for 15 days with Peter. In chapter 2, he's with Peter, Andrew, and James. And they uh, call him to go with Barnabas to Antioch and there preach the gospel and recognize the hand of God that was on him. And so he imparts, Peter imparts to Mark, he imparts to Paul, he imparts to Barnabas this sense of the key that I have I give to you. And so when we come to this text of I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and I give you the key of the kingdom, I believe that the key is given to everyone sitting in the cars here today. 
I believe that God wants to place in your hand the keys of his kingdom so that you can do the work that you're being called to do. Whether COVID or not COVID, God wants to give you the opportunity to knowing him and knowing the power of his spirit. Make a difference with your neighbors. Make a difference where you work. Make a difference in your family. May God, by his spirit, put his keys in your hand. Now, my invitation to you as you sit in your car is to just open your hands before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be used by you. I would like for you to help me to use the keys that you give to every believer. So help me to know you better and fill me with your Holy Spirit. If you will open your heart and open your hands symbolically before the Lord, I believe right now in the name of Jesus. Anointing can come right into that car where you are. The presence of God can be intensified. There can be a sense of him reaching out and taking you and using you for his name. So Father, in the mightiest name, the name of Jesus, I am praying that you will touch everyone in every vehicle by the power of your spirit. Those who drove here, may they drive away again with a sense of being renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. What they've learned in song and in the word today, may it cause them to have greater courage to do the will of God where they are. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit that came to Peter and enabled him to do what he did, may that same power come to them now and enable them to do all that you were calling them to do. We ask this now in the precious, in the mighty name of Jesus. Just before I pronounce a benediction, I want to mention very quickly three things. Uh, they're all about our ministry. The first is, if you'd like to get our newsletter, there'll be a sign-up page at the uh, sign at the back, and you could sign up. Pat's going to be back there. Also, we have my father's book on prayer, which many of you have read. Some of you have heard about it. It's available. Listen, we say to people, if you will read this book, you can just have it. If you want to make a gift towards the ministry, we suggest whatever you want. Most people give about $10. But listen, we're very sincere. If you just want this, it's there for you. We want to give you something that will help you to pray. My dad was a great man of prayer. If you knew him, you knew that he spent hours every day in prayer. And he answers the question, could someone teach me to pray? This book will help you to do that. People have been anxious to have the integrity material. And so I am thrilled to tell you that right now that the integrity material is available in both English and French. And uh, you may speak French. You may prefer to read a book in French. It's there for you. Or you may prefer it in English. This is available to you now. And if you would like to get a copy of the, this book, we're asking that you would give... Uh, $25 towards the ministry, uh, and that you would get a book at the back. This will, uh, I hope, inspire you to live a life of integrity. And I'm hoping that in Brandon, in the near future, there will be cohorts studying how to live a life of integrity. If you're interested in this stuff, uh, these two books, 
or my dad's book. Uh, they're available at the back. Pat's got a car parked there and she's wearing an orange vest. You're welcome to just go by. And um, if not, that's fine. Uh, please continue to pray for us in the work that we're doing. Uh, we thank God that we're seeing a growth. It's moderate but steady. And we believe as COVID lifts and Africa, Canada, and elsewhere are able to move more freely, your church is going to see outstanding blessing. And we believe the same will happen in the ministry we lead. So let me close in prayer uh, with a benediction. And may the Lord go with you and give you a great week. And may you find yourself using the keys of the kingdom every day. And now may the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Look forward to seeing you again. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook. Thank you.